All right, get your notes. If you have your notes, we're going to wrap up our lesson tonight. We've been talking about the end of the world, and now we truly have gotten to lesson 10, and it's the end of the world. It truly is. We've gone through, remember, we spent so many weeks in tribulation, which was seven years. And then we got to the millennial time period, which I told you how paradoxical it was that you had all these verses about the seven-year time period at the end of the age, but there were very few verses about the 1,000 years of millennial reign. And uh, we talked last week about the great white throne judgment. And uh, there was just, there was an anointing here last Wednesday just to cast the net and give people an opportunity to get their accounts up to date with God. And... Uh, that was, a, that was just an incredible blessing. I was blessed by that. Usually when you get done talking about hell, you walk out and go, oh my God, nobody will be here next week, you know. But uh, there was an anointing to, to talk about that. But we want to end on good news, and that's, that's truly what is in the Word of God. It ends with good news. If you know Jesus, how many of you know that's good news? It's the best news. And so... We've reached the place where the great white throne judgment has occurred or is occurring. And uh, let me just read to you some passages here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to 2 Peter. I'll take the second one first before I get to the revelation. 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. I can get my fingers working right here. 2 Peter 3 and 10, we read these words, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now again, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a rapture. We're talking about that culminating time period at the end of the age. You know, it's interesting, the Bible uses phrases like when it talks about the first resurrection. There are several, there are several stages to the first resurrection. It's not just one resurrection where it all happens at once. There are stages to it. And so um, it really kind of demonstrates the Hebrew mind. The Hebrew mind doesn't think like we think. Um, I oftentimes have used the illustration to understand how mentalities are different. For instance, since we are educated in a more uh, Western Greek philosophy, let me just show you how that works. If I were to say to you that uh, England is cold, cotton cannot grow in cold weather, Therefore, what would the next phrase be? Cotton cannot grow in England. That's what the next phrase would be, right? This is what sometimes we'd say. Cancer will kill you. John Doe has cancer. Therefore, John Doe will die. If we were thinking that way, is that not true? That's, that's how a Greek m mentality thinks. Now, <clears throat> if you are a Hebrew, this is how this would work. Let's go back to the first one. England is cold. Cotton does not grow in England. Somebody, or, or cotton does not grow in the cold, excuse me. England is cold. Cotton does not grow in the cold. The question, will cotton grow in England? The Hebrew mind would say, I don't know. I've never been to England. You understand? That's what, that's what, it's the same way. If we were to say, cancer kills people, John Doe has cancer. Then the next question is, will, will John Doe live? And the Hebrew mind would go, depends. Does he know God? 
See, that's how there's a different mentality that exists. And that's, that's why you and I have to weed out our mentalities and make sure we get a, a, a proper mentality. And I, I use that simply to illustrate that, that when the Bible talks about certain things, for instance, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is not necessarily one 24-hour day or one event because the Bible also says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. So you've got to understand God's days are different than our days. I always tell people, you know, Paul said that Jesus was coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. So remember that the next time the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to work in your life soon. Just, you know, kind of keep that in context, that his soon may be different than your soon. So, so the day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, that's one of the reasons we teach on the end times, is it ought to produce godliness and holiness in our life. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All right, now turn to Revelation 21, and we'll wrap up right here. Revelation 21, we find these very similar concepts being written here. It says, now, John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Can you say amen? Amen. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, isn't that interesting? The cowardly, think about that for just a minute. The cowardly, the next time somebody starts gigging you about your walk with God, don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is, as we talked about last week, the second death. So let's go to our notes here and let's begin to walk through all this. I'm not sure whether it's at the exact self-same moment or whether it's after the great white throne judgment, but during this time period, the present earth, this earth that we're living on right now, And the atmosphere surrounding this earth 
will be renovated by fire, the Bible tells us. In fact, as God sends his fire upon the earth, now remember, as, as far as judgment goes, we're not at the judgment, great white throne judgment. Um, we have a, a resurrected place, we have glorified bodies, we're standing with him. In fact, I didn't go over those scriptures, we're actually standing with him in this particular time period as well. But the, the whole earth and the atmosphere of the earth will be completely changed. This fire will purify the earth so that it shall be forever freed from every evil spirit and destructive agency ever known. That means every germ, every disease, every vile thing, it will be absolutely purified by this fire. I also suspect that the atmosphere which was used to sustain our mortal bodies will no longer be necessary. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the reason I believe the Bible says that the fire will go even into the heavens is that the atmosphere uh, will be totally cleansed as well. We're going to talk about the New Jerusalem and how, how, how tall the New Jerusalem is. And those of you that know science know that our atmosphere reaches to about how many miles? About, what, 15 miles maybe? Maybe 20 miles tops? Well, the New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles. So it would have to break out of the atmosphere. Well... Well, I know people would say, if you were scientifically inclined, how in the world could it break out of the atmosphere? Well, if, if there's going to be no atmosphere. And, and people would say, well, if there's no atmosphere, how will we breathe? We're in our glorified bodies. See, breathing's no longer an issue. If you were dead and now you've been raised, air is no problem. All right? It's no problem. So I suspect the atmosphere which was used to sustain us won't even be necessary. It's also through this that I believe it could very well be true that you and I in our glorified state will have the capacity to literally travel the universe. I don't know. But I know I'll no longer be constricted by any human limitations anymore. Um, we will have our incorruptible, immortal bodies. So no air or gravity as we conventionally understand it. And as I already mentioned, the geography and atmosphere would have to be changed in order for a city the size of the New Jerusalem to exist. What will all this look like? Let's just walk through this. The scripture tells us that in this renovated earth, there will be no more sea. As I'm beginning to understand it, the earth will put on the appearance of Eden again. How it looked in the Garden of Eden and how the earth probably looked in that time period will once again be restored. And it will have that type of beauty again. It will be paradise restored. There will not be large bodies of water. Now, the scripture tells us that out of the temple will flow a great river. I do believe that there will be water that will be on the earth and that these rivers will have to have outlets, but I do not believe that the earth will have seas as we understand seas today. In fact, right now, I think they say two-thirds of the earth is water and one-third of it is land. Perhaps in a restored state, it'll be far more land than there will be sea. Um, I suspect that there will be a mist from the glory of God that will be forever manifest. And, and so the, the earth will be a, a paradise. In other words, you won't have to go to the Caribbean to enjoy uh, the beautiful uh, temperatures and sights. It will be, it'll be beautiful from top to bottom and all around. The Bible tells us there will be no more painful occurrences. No death. We'll all be immortal. And no sorrow or the tears that accompany it. You know, the reason we may cry for joy, and, and, and I don't know if 
you know, that's, that's allowed or not. But the, the key is, is that there'll be no more tears of sorrow out of painful circumstances. You know, death provides a certain pain and the loss of loved ones can provide a certain grief to us. But in this place, there'll be no, no grief like that. There'll be no tears like that. There'll be, there'll be no thoughts like that. That's almost hard for us to believe, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard to believe that there could be literally billions of people in this place and we weren't offending one another somehow, somewhere. I mean, it's just, that's a miracle in and of itself. To, to not look at someone else's mansion and go, I want that mansion and I don't understand why I don't have it. I, you just, how do you explain that? Well, it's been cleansed. You're in your glorified state. The Bible tells us that there'll be no sin or unrighteousness that will be there. Those who practice lawless behavior shall be forever gone. This, this is the most mind-bending thing to me, is that it is so hard to break out of the carnal mind to say, all these people and no unrighteousness. It's just, it's just beyond comprehension. And yet that will be exactly the case. There will be an atmosphere of safety and purity. Uh... There'll be, no, there'll be no more amber alerts. Hallelujah. There'll, 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 there'll be no more ducking your eyes and lascivious behavior and shows you can't watch and you're defiled everywhere you look. And you know what? All of all, Praise God, New Orleans will be cleansed. Europe will be cleansed. San Francisco will be cleansed. Las Vegas will be cleansed. It'll be an atmosphere of safety and purity. It's hard to conceive because we just don't live in that type of atmosphere now. And then there's this new city, he says, that's called the New Jerusalem. In fact, in the Bible, this is the one place that we find where it's called the Bride of Christ. Now, interestingly, um, because of some of the books I've been reading, uh, there's one gentleman that I'm reading who... who brings to quite a important point that 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 we've sort of out of tradition you know called the church the bride of christ and he makes the case that really if you study it out you'd be hard pressed to to find that exactly but we're not hard pressed to find that the new jerusalem is called the bride of christ i don't know that i'd you know i'm not going to wrestle over it and find places of division but it is interesting that this is the place where we find the new jerusalem called the bride of christ it is supernatural it is unlike any city that we have ever seen in this world it is surpassingly grand in both construction and size listen to this it is 1500 miles square now i'm not talking about square miles i mean every side of it is 1500 miles which means that one side of it, if it were to land in America, and we all understand that it's not going to land in America, you know. Contrary to most of our opinions, America is not the center of the universe. But if it were to land, it, one side would reach from Maine to Florida, and then from Florida on the East Coast to the Colorado border. It would occupy more than half of the United States of America, this one city. And this is just for your consideration. We are told that the length and the breadth and the height are the same. In other words, it's 1,500 miles wide, it's 1,500 miles long, and it says that it's 
1,500 miles high. That's why I mentioned to you earlier that if there were an atmosphere, a conventional atmosphere, there would be difficulty with that. But this planet will be renovated. So that atmosphere will no longer be an encumbrance to a city such as this. I know most people have envisioned a cube. I want to suggest to you that it could very well be a pyramid. It could have that kind of a shape to it as it goes up from the ground 1,500 miles into the air. Uh, that form, uh, it would just support its enormous size and structure. Now, now, God can make anything he wants to make and it'll be supported. So if you'd like to, if you'd like to envision a big cube, then cool. If, if a pyramid is, is something that you can begin to envision, I, I, I think somehow or some way that may well be a possibility as well. The walls, if you'll begin to just sort of work all this out, the walls themselves, it actually goes up straight. The walls are equivalent to a 22-story building. So those are just the walls, the gates of the New Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that in all four of these walls, there'll be three gates. And the three names of, 12, of the 12 tribes are written over each of those gates. So... Uh, you know, the gates, what, Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel with, Le, uh, with Simeon and Levi, the next in line, Naphtali, Issachar, Asher, and Dan, Zebulun, Gad made the total to nine. Um, I, I don't know if I'll get the other three or not. But anyway, those are the names of the 12 tribes. And, and they will be on top of the gates as, as you go around uh, the north, south, the east, and the west. The Bible tells us that the gates are made of a single pearl. Is that not cool? Some have speculated that the gates, now imagine this, if you have a 1,500 mile wall, and there have been scholars who believe that, that the New Jerusalem was the original, uh, uh, what do I want to say, the blueprint for the earthly things. Everyone knows that the temple, or the tabernacle and the temple, are actually, that were on earth, were actually reproductions of what existed in heaven. I mean, so we know a little bit of what those would have looked like in the heavenly realm by seeing the dimensions that God gave us in the natural realm. Well, there are many who believe that perhaps the new Jerusalem will shake out a lot like that. And if that be true, then the gates, there'll be three gates on a 1,500 mile long wall, and the gates themselves will be 100 miles long. Is that not wild? That's one, yeah, one pearl. But you have to remember, the earth is populated with billions of people. And they'll be streaming day and night into the city in order to worship God. Jesus told us, now it's interesting because some people, and I, you know, and I know I can preach a pretty rugged gospel, I recognize that. But truth of the matter is that, that uh, God wouldn't provide this large of a city unless he intended for it to be filled. And I believe that through the centuries and through the years and through the millennial time period and all the things that will be taking place, Jesus told us that his father's house would be filled with people. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Filled with people. The walls are jasper and all manner of precious stones. In fact, the scripture tells us that, that it will be laden with gold and and. I believe it'll be a translucent kind of a gold. In other words, it's the kind of gold that you actually could begin to see through. And, and there'll be a translucent aspect to it. The Bible tells us that there's not going to be a temple in this city. 
No more temple. Now, I'm just taking you down through Revelation 21. I didn't give all the passages, but if you just continue to read in Revelation 21, you'll see all these things that I'm beginning to pull out. The Bible says that there'll be no temple in this city, for the whole city will be the residence of God himself. There'll be no longer any any type of restriction to get into the presence of God, but the whole city will have him as a resident. The source of energy for this city is the glory of God himself. The Bible literally tells us there'll be no need for the sun or the moon. For the glory of the Lord will be the light and the lamp thereof. There'll be no need for electrical companies. You won't have to worry about your electrical bill. The Lord himself will be the light. Nations and kings, the scripture tells us, will delight in coming. And bringing their honor and their glory to God in this city. It says here, Revelation 21, 22, it says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, there's another verse that says that uh, to him that overcomes, I will grant to him, the Bible says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me in my throne in glory. Now, I started to think about that. There is a uh, there's a picture. I don't know if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery, but there's a picture of a gray chair that sits at Arlington National Cemetery. And on special days, that chair is used by presidents and other figures who may do particular um, memorial services or other things that take place over this great uh, graveyard. And, it, and it's, a large, it's a large chair. In fact, you could probably seat more than, than just one person. But I started to think to myself that God's going to have a throne. And, and, and I just want you to picture this. Somebody asked me one time, they came up, I was, I was talking about that, and they said, do you think that God's going to make a throne for literally millions or billions of people to sit in? I mean, how's that going to work? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. A God who is able to create a world and dot stars in the sky and spin planets into orbit, create an earth, put green grass on it, lace it with brooks and streams and raise up mountains and carve out valleys and do all that he did. I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of trouble with that throne, do you? I just, I don't think that'll probably be the case. There's going to be some remarkable features in eternity. There'll be unending fellowship with God. I know that may seem boring to some now, maybe not to you. You're here in the middle of the week. But if you can think of those moments, maybe in church service, or maybe the moments you've had when you've been before the Lord in prayer, or maybe you've been worshiping Him, and you sense His presence come. This has happened to me before. I, I, maybe it's happened to you. I've, I've been in worship services where I've worshipped God and suddenly looked at my watch 
Has this ever happened to you? And all of a sudden, where'd the time go? I know there are some people who watch their watch. And they're, they're, they're ticking off every minute that's going by, man. How long is this going to last? And so naturally, in their mind, they say to themselves, Eternity, worship God, dear God, it's been 90 minutes, get me out of here. You better check your spiritual pulse, dude. Because there's going to come a day. Because I'm telling you, there's been worship services that I've been in, and I've looked at my watch, and I've gone, two hours, where did it go? You, you, have, you have stepped into the eternal realm. When those moments happen, you literally transcend it into a timeless moment. I mean, I've been in services like that. I've been in services where ministry seemed like it was an eternity. But I've been in services and in the presence of God where it seemed like it was just moments. Where did it go? That's the presence of God. Let me, let me tell you, you're not going to be worshiping God in the new Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, you're going to say to yourself, dear God, it's been two hours. Lord, can't you cut us loose? The Lutherans will beat us to the tree of life. That isn't isn't going to be how it works. You're going to look at your watch and go, a hundred years. And we've just got started. See, see, we can't conceive of those things, can we? We can't even conceive of it. Unending fellowship with God. Everything will remain new. Nothing wears out. Hallelujah. You've already heard me say that I believe... This is what I believe. You, you can believe something. I, you know what I'm going to say here. I believe everybody's going to be 33 years old in heaven. That's what I believe. I didn't. I'm going to the best 33 you can be. That's what I believe. You say, why do you believe that? It, because the Bible says that when we see him, we shall be like him. And he was 33. I, I'm. Just, I, I, I'm really serious. I know some people don't think I'm serious. I really. I'm really serious. I believe we'll be 33. That's, that's the age area we will be. Scripture says the river of life will never stop flowing. There'll be beauty beyond description. Security as you have never known it. You know, the, the Scripture tells us in my Father's house are many mansions. But we're not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. So, so we, will, we will have residencies there. But you're not going to have to worry about locks on your doors. You're not going to have to worry about these things. Security as you have never known it. Unity between believers. Hallelujah. That's what I'm saying, you know. I often have said that if you spend over 30 minutes in church life, you've been offended by somebody. So to imagine just unity and, and just joy with fellow believers, of course... The spirit of holiness will be there. Untold wealth. Such wealth will be there, it won't even, it doesn't affect you. It, it, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Unrestricted access to God. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. In the worship of God before His very presence. All of these things will be a part. And, and I guess we could say in the half has not been told. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read something to you here just as we 
finish this up and just kind of give our last few exhortations. First Peter chapter 1. This is one of my favorite passages about our inheritance. Peter begins to write. He's talking to believers that are scattered all over the known world at that time. And they've been dispersed. They've been persecuted because of their faith. Many have lost family members because of Neronian persecution. Nero was one of the more despicable Caesars. I won't even go into all the ways that he persecuted the church. But because of that persecution, they were scattered. In some ways, persecution has always caused the church to do the Great Commission. They wouldn't get out of Jerusalem, so what did God do? He brought persecution. And once he brought persecution, it dispersed them all over the known world, and then they began to spread the gospel. And if we won't spread the gospel willingly, then what he does is he, he allows persecution to come to his people in order that he might winnow out those that are just kind of giving lip service to the deal anyway, and it begins to disperse those of us in order to get the gospel out. So Peter's writing to this kind of a group of people, and he says this, Blessed, verse 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance... Now, I, I, you know, I'm full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, and I believe that, that God has destiny and purpose for us here on the earth. I believe that God wants to fund his purposes and prosper his people and heal their bodies. And I believe God wants to do this in this earth right now, but I'm telling you, I believe there's an inheritance yet. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Any of you been grieved? <laughs> I, always, I thought that was an interesting word. You've just been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now listen, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. I always like that phrase because there are angels right now in this place and around our life and they listen to us sing the praises of God and they listen to us tonight give the testimonies of what God has done in our life and they listen and we say thank God for his mercy and thank God that though I failed he's raised me up and he's cleaned me up and he's 
and he's put me back on the road and we lift our hands and we worship God and praise God and the angels don't understand that. They don't know, they don't, they don't understand. They don't understand what it means to have fallen and to have been redeemed. They don't understand what it means to have stumbled and yet God raising you up and strengthening you and giving you the victory. They don't understand. Now, do they love God? I'm sure, yes, they do. Do they serve the Lord? Yes, they do. But when the songs of the redeemed go out, when the redemption songs are lifted up, the angels, they really do. They have to fold their wings. And they say, we cannot sing these songs. These are the songs only of the redeemed. That's why it says, let the redeemed of the Lord. Do you understand? That's why in the book of the Revelation, I believe this to be true. That right now, now, and you listen, and again, you can disagree with me, and you've been wrong before, but... But you chew on this. You chew on... I know heaven's perfect. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Or I believe the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem are perfect... But do you understand that right now the reason God so loves to hear his people worship is because his worship leader got kicked out centuries ago, millennia ago, and I don't believe it's ever been the same since. Nowhere in the Bible, you read the book of the Revelation, and I I did this one time, and I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where the angels sang. Now they'd speak. But I believe that God so desires to hear the songs of the redeemed. And when we worship God in this place, and when the music goes up and we lift our voices, do you understand? God, God loves that. He doesn't hear that in any way, shape, or form unless it comes from the redeemed. Now, you can challenge me on that, but I still think I'm right. And there's coming, and the reason he so wants to redeem us and Maybe this is, a, I, don't, I don't know if God, you know, God can't be selfish. He created us for relationship. But he so longs for us to be with him, to worship. And to declare his worth and to love him. And, uh, and that's just an exciting thing. It ought to excite us here because the minute, the minute we begin to worship and sing the songs of the redeemed, this is what God does. We, we, begin, we begin to, like, prophetically step into the future by worshiping God. And what God does is, is he begins to unveil the future by allowing his kingdom to come. And there can be those unique moments when all of a sudden we transcend time and we transcend our circumstances and our problems and it becomes one of those moments again where all of a sudden it, time just vanishes and what happens in those moments then is bodies get healed because in heaven we're healed and bodies get delivered because in heaven there's no evil or perverse thing and that's why we so desperately desperately have to have the presence of god come into our midst and and that's what we're batting for every time we come to church on sunday and we step into the house of god you know where we're you know where we're swinging the bat we're we're swinging the bat to taste of the kingdom. That's our, our goal is not just to come and check off our duty list. Well, did that, been there. That's what I was supposed to do. I'm going to go on with life. No, the, the whole purpose of coming is to taste and see that the Lord is good. To somehow reach and to taste of the powers of the age that's yet to come. And there are those moments we get there.
And I wouldn't trade those moments for anything. And the good news is that one of these days, it'll be every moment. Every moment. I'll never forget one time I had to go to Russia without Trace. And uh, it was about a two-week trip. And you know, I'm a big boy and I've traveled to other nations. And for whatever reason this time, I wasn't gone a day or two. And have any of you, have you ever, any of you really ever been homesick? Do you know what the feeling of homesick is? Have you ever, those of you that know, you, you know the feeling. It's almost like you're sick. It's, it's almost like a panic. If you've never been really homesick, you might not understand what I'm saying. I, I'd never really been homesick before. But it's almost like a panic. It's a, it's an inability to sleep. It's just, it's almost like a fear. I don't know how to explain all the feelings that rush through, but those of you that have experienced it know exactly what, 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 I'm, what I'm talking about. And I remember, you know, my body was screwed up because we were over the Arctic Circle and the sun, you know, the sun was up, you know, for how many hours and then you try to sleep and, of course, you're, you're 10 hours away from your, your, your time zone and so, you know, you're wide awake at 3 a.m. going, what, what can I do? It's 3 a.m., you know, and, and then, my, you know, 3 in the afternoon, you're just, you're, you're collapsing and you're wanting to just, you know, go to bed and, and, and then add homesick on top of that. And it was just, oh, God, it was bad. And I can remember I did what I was there to do. And, and then the day finally came, I'll never forget. I had to keep my mind cluttered with other things just to not think about it, to try not to think about it. And, oh, yeah, and I was out of communication. We were somewhere that I couldn't get a phone, and I couldn't even hear, couldn't hear a voice. And it was just bad. And I can remember when the day came, that uh, it was time to get ready to catch the flight to come on back to South Carolina. And I'll never forget, man, getting up that morning. It wasn't hard to get up that morning. It wasn't hard to get the bag packed. It wasn't hard to get downstairs and get to the bus on time. It was snowing. I'll never forget it was snowing that day. And I remember being out there saying, Oh, Lord, do not allow a snowstorm to come. Why is that? Because i got to get home. Went to the airport. Sitting in the airport, listening to all the, the voices over the intercom, first in Russian, then in English. And it was time to, to get on the plane, and you're so excited. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an 11-hour plane flight, and, and, and you're elbowing your way up to get to the front of the line to get on the plane. Isn't that crazy? Why do you do that? Because you're going home. You're going home. And you're sitting in the plane and you're, you're watching the, the clock tick and you're trying to concentrate on a movie and you're just, you're wanting to make sure you get your connecting flight at JFK because they can't connect anything in New York, right? And, and so you're worried about that and and you're watching the clock and you're adding it up and you're going through time zones and you're wondering if it's all going to hit because you just want to go home. Until you finally land at the airport and you come down the terminal. You see your wife standing there and your little kids. They made you a little banner. 
It says, welcome home. Welcome home. As great as that moment was, and it's still really fresh in my mind, you know, there's going to come a day for those of us that have lived our lives for Jesus. We, 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 we aren't those unwise virgins. I'm not, I, I'm not hanging around. I'm, 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 I'm staking my life in this stuff. And there's going to come a day that there'll be a gate open for me, and I'm going to see a lot of family members, maybe... Maybe not all that I had hoped for, but I'm going to see a good number of them. And friends and fellow laborers. And there's going to be a banner, folks. Welcome home. This stuff is real to me. This isn't fairy tale stuff. This stuff's real to me. I want it to be real to you. Welcome home. Welcome home. Why, why roll the dice? Why roll the dice on an eternity without God when, when you can see a banner that says, Welcome home. Welcome home. Hallelujah. Father, thank you tonight that there are a lot of wonderful promises and there are a lot of wonderful things that you have given to each of us as believers that we can access and use even now that causes us to have abundant life, that causes us to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask or think. That, Lord, you've not created us as mere human beings, but that you've created us to be sons and daughters of God. And, and Lord, I want you to know that I appreciate so much all that is available, every gift of God that is available, the authority that you granted to us as believers, that, Lord, our portion even now is healing. Our portion even now is deliverance. Our portion, Lord, even now is, is, is a prospering that we can begin to demonstrate to the world what it means to walk in covenant with our God. And for all of those things, Lord, I give you thanks. But, Lord, right now, I thank you that if it was all stripped away, it'd still be worth it to go home. It'd still be worth it, everything, just to be able to see you say, welcome home. I don't know about you, well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. That's going to be worth everything one of these days. May not be fair. Life may not be fair. And it may not be just. But one of these days, just one line from the Lord. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Will be worth millions. Lord, I pray tonight. For those that have gathered here. That you would one more time just strengthen us and encourage us, Lord, that you would put inside of us the tenacity to not, to not faint, to not grow weary in well-doing, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, to not walk away, to not succumb to negativity, Lord, to not, to not become skeptical and cynical, but Lord, to just keep 
pressing forward till we see you face to face. It is true. Your word is true. So, Lord, we just, one more time tonight, could you stand with me? And would you just lift your hands to the Lord and just tell him you love him before you go tonight? Lord, we just raise our hands to you tonight. We lift our hands to you, O God. Blessed be our God. Blessed be our God. Blessed be your name. Hey, Tyler, quickly, quickly, find that stock still one, the Bethany one we use, and go to the next to the last one, which, Father, you're glorious. Just, just punch it in real quick. Noah or Laura, if you need to run back there, just put, find Father, you're glorious, so it can get on the screen overhead. We're going to sing to our God before we go tonight. Father, you're glorious. Corra, babara, sebere, toto, corrande. Make our lives an awful me. Nothing can or ever will come between the love we share. We set our eyes upon the beauty of your face, oh Lord, Father. Forever you, forever you. 
Just lift your voice and let's sing together. Forever you are faithful. Forever you are true. And forever you are mighty. Yeah. Oh yeah. We stand in all forever. We stand in all you. How many looking forward to going home? Looking forward to going home. Hallelujah. Lord, bless your folks over this holiday now. Let them have just a refreshing time with family and loved ones. Lord, I know you'll be honored. Just keep them safe even in their travels. Bring us back, Lord, to your house that we might taste of you and know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving.